Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, you're so good, and you've been so faithful and trustworthy and kind, and uh, we're really excited about what's next and what's happening. And so, Father, I just pray that you would be with us today. Uh, we, we want, we're here to meet you. Uh, we're here to interact with you and to follow you and to hear from you. And so we pray that you would use this time for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 13. Uh, last week, Sam talked about the Passover and uh, talked, did an amazing job talking about the journey of the people of God kind of out of Egypt. And so today, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, we kind of reach this Red Sea moment, which is a significant turning point for the people of God. It's almost the door that they enter in into their next season. They have known life as a slave, but now they are free. And so there's this one final barrier in front of them to become free people, and it is this sea. And so Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says this. It said, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead him on the road through the Philistine country, though that way was shorter. I think that's an interesting passage right there. Right from the start, there was a shorter way for God's people to get somewhere. There was a shorter way for them to get to the promised land, but God's ways are not always the fast and the easy and the short ways. God's ways are often clothed in sacrifice. God's ways are often the ways that cost us something, that take something for us to get there. And God's interest is not for God's people to get to the promised land as quickly as possible. His interest is for his people to grow and become the type of people that he's called them to be. God's mission is his people. And so what he's doing is he's shaping his people so that they can become the vessel that can withhold his glory. He's shaping the people so that they can become the people who can be his representative nation for all the world to see. They have to become an alternative community to the cultural norms of their world. And what has to happen in order for that to happen is they have to walk through the desert in order to get to the promised land. It's not something that we love about life. Like, I want everything to be fast and easy and simple. I want to take the shortest path anywhere. Are, are any of you guys, like, at the grocery store, you will scout out which line is going to be the shortest? Like, I get intricate in it. Like, I know that young people move faster than old people. And when I see a really old cashier, I'm like, no, this line's longer, but this kid is moving fast. I'm over here. There's one lady at, at the grocery store that I go to, she's just really talkative. And she likes to talk a lot, and, and I'll just be honest, I'm an introvert, I, I, and, and, I'm all, and when I'm at the grocery, this may sound terrible because I'm a pastor, but I don't really want to talk to the cashier for very long, I just want to get my groceries and go home. And so I avoid her like the plague. I'm like, I am not going into her line because she's going to talk to me for 20 minutes, and I'm going to be stuck here, and so I'm going over here. Is that, did I share a little too much there? Was that, was that too much honesty? I, I'm always looking for the quickest way to get somewhere. And the way of God is not always the quick and easy way. For God said to them, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. This is so interesting. They would return to slavery because things got hard. Think about that. They would return to the place where they were oppressed. Remember, why did God show up? Why did God send Moses? He did it because the people were crying out because of their oppression. And they would go back to their oppression rather than fight the battle that's in front of them. I feel exactly the same way about the weeds in my yard. Right? I, I, the other day, our, our weeds were just getting out of control and leaves are starting to fall now. Like, I love fall, 
Um, like we're, I think we're in, I think we've actually made it. Like we went through first fall, second fall, first summer, second summer, third summer, fourth summer. I'm hoping that we're actually at fall now, but it'll probably be 95 by Wednesday. Like who knows? Uh, but I love the fall, but then the leaves start to fall and all these things start to happen. And so I turned to Sarah the other day and I was like, babe, we got to take care of these weeds. And she's like, yeah, we just got to take a Saturday and, and spend the whole day and, and get rid of these weeds. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And she's like, well, then we have to pay somebody to do it. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that, right? We, 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 want, we want stuff done without us doing anything. Like, I don't want to pay somebody to, cut my yard, or to fix my yard and pull the weeds and rake the, rake the leaves. And, and I do have children, but they do a terrible job at it, so I can't trust them to do it. And so I, there's, there has to be a way to get these things done. This is God's people in this moment. They want to get to the promised land, but they want to take the quickest, easiest way to get there. Verse 18, it says, so God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea, and the Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. They were actually ready, and so they came out of Egypt ready for battle, and God said, There's, I'm going to take you the long way. We're going to go through the desert to get to the promised land. Anything that's worth getting in this earth, in this world that's good, is worth fighting for. I, I, just, don't, I just don't think things come that easy. I mean, there's an occasional moment where something amazing and easy just falls into your lap, but the good things of life, marriage, parenting, family, relationships, it takes investment, it takes time, it takes sacrifice, it takes work for us to get to those places. And what strikes me is what's happening in this moment is God is preparing to shape his people to become the people that he's called them to. And he doesn't just give them the promise, he wants them to invest in it. He doesn't just hand them the promises, he actually wants them to fight for it. And oftentimes the Bible is not always prescriptive, but it's descriptive. It doesn't tell us exactly what to do in every moment. And so we want it to give us like the answer to every moment, but it doesn't always tell us that. Like right now as a church, there is not a verse in the Bible that tells me when do we hire the next staff person, right? There's not a verse that says we need to hire this staff person instead of this person. There's not a scripture that tells us when do we move to two services. Like Leviticus does not say when you reach 300 people, go to two services, right? There's none of that stuff in the Bible. You've got to decide that. The Bible doesn't say when we, when we buy a new sound system or how loud is the music because sometimes it's too loud for some and sometimes it's not loud enough for others. The scripture doesn't say um, when, we, uh, when we renovate our bathrooms. It doesn't say that, right? It doesn't talk to us about it's weird that your church has outdoor bathrooms. It doesn't say that. Like, there's, there's not all of these things in the scripture. It doesn't say it's time to build a park right now. But what it does do is it talks about there, are, there is this thing called the church. There's a community of people, much like Israel, who I am shaping to become the people that I have called to fulfill the promises that I've called them to fulfill in their community and in their world. And what we get to do together is we get to discern together what God is calling us to do. We get to pray, we get to listen, we get to seek out what God has asked us to do. We get to invest together, we get to sacrifice together, we get to step into the things that God has called us to do because together we can do so much more than what we could do alone. It's interesting that God doesn't just call Moses and his family out of Egypt, he calls a nation out of Egypt. 
He doesn't just say, I just need a leader. He says, I want a nation. I want a people. I want a group. And so this is the beauty of the church. And for Israel, they have lived as slaves where, think about this, every decision that they made was made for them. When they woke up, when they went to bed, when they ate, what everything that they did was determined by the slave masters, the slave drivers, the oppressors. So they didn't know what freedom was. They didn't know how to live in freedom. They didn't know how to make these decisions. And God is saying to them, it's your turn now. Which I believe is the same thing he's saying to us today. It's our turn now. It's our turn to invest in the next generation. It's our turn to love this community with the love of Christ. It's our turn to step up and become the people of God. We are no longer slaves. We are free. We have been rescued by the blood of the lamb. We have been saved by the grace of Jesus. He has saved us and rescued us in dramatic ways. And now it's our turn to live as the people of God. And the question becomes, how are we going to live? What are we going to do? And for Israel... The type of world that God was creating was one that would invest in the next generation and then the next generation and then the next generation all the way until it got to us. I think about this. This is so amazing. The promised land was for us. Because that promise led to the faithfulness of God's people year after year, generation after generation, decade after decade. And that faith has been passed on from year to year, from person to person, until Jesus came. And then Jesus started a church, and that church grew and multiplied and became the church of today. And there is a reimagination of humanity. There's a re-identity that happens in the desert. Then Israel emerges as this alternate community, but before they they get to the promised land, before they even enter into the desert, God has a few last lessons he wants them to learn. And so he leads them up to the Red Sea. And here's the thing about standing in front of the Red Sea. You can't cross it. And so there's a desert in front of them. And remember, there's a shorter way over here. Can you imagine the people? Like my kids go crazy when we drive an extra five minutes to get somewhere. Can you imagine... It's, we're, we're talking an enormous amount of people, probably a million people coming out of Egypt. And Moses is like, hey, we're going to take the long way. And they know, like, we're going to go right up. And then they run into the sea, and they're like, oh, Moses needs a GPS. Like, Moses doesn't know what he's doing. Like, who is this guy that's leading us? And then the first lesson that they learned is that the easy way is not always God's way. The easy way is not always God's way. The way of sacrifice is the ground where fruit is born. Uh, pastoring and, and, and becoming the people of God, I, I think it's so much more about gardening than it is about engineering. It's not just about let's get the right pieces in place. It's not just about let's, let's, let's do a second service at the right time. Let's build a park at the right time. There's not like this template for church growth. What we do is we just show up and we just keep investing. Jesus told the parable of sowing seeds. We just throw seeds we just invest in our, with our neighbors. We love and we care for and we, we build roots and we invest where we're called and, and God bears fruit. We're called to faithfulness and, and, and God takes care of the fruitfulness. And, and that means that it's not always easy. And just because it's not easy doesn't mean that God's not in it. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that he is. Or just because it's easy doesn't mean that God's in it. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that he is. The second lesson that they learned is they learned to let God work for them. 
as they listened and obeyed. Um, you guys know the story? They're up against the Red Sea. The people are already beginning to complain about what's going on, and Pharaoh decides to pursue them. Uh, there's a realization that happens in Exodus chapter 14 where Pharaoh says, wait a minute, I just destroyed our economy. Because <laughs> slavery works well for the oppressors, right? Uh, we just destroyed our economy and, and we just let everything go. And how are we going to make it as a nation now when we don't have the backs of the Israelites to build these monuments for us? We lost our entire workforce. Uh, imagine a people who have never worked, who are like, oh no, now we have to work. <laughs> That's what's happening here. And so Pharaoh sends his chariots out to get him. Exodus 14, verse 10, it says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And this is, can I just say, this is a little preview of things to come in the desert. Um, the people of God, I've, I've recognized this in, um, this sometimes happens in the church too. Uh, the people of God don't like the desert. Uh, the people of God don't always love sacrifice. The people of God don't always like being uncomfortable. And so what happens oftentimes when that happens is they complain. Uh, later on in the story, uh, Moses talks about, I cannot handle these grumbling people, is what he says to the Lord. Uh, and it starts here. So they said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, leave us to serve the Egyptians, which they never said, just by the way, right? There is a revisionist history in our grumbling, right? There's a way that we remember the past as it was pleasant and it was good when it's not. Later on in the story, they say, remember Egypt where we had meat and we had beds to sleep in and it was wonderful. They didn't have those things, but they have this revisionist history of the past. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And I love Moses. Moses stands up and he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord and he will bring it to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And this is, this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. There are three passages that we have on our walls at home. And this is one that sits in our bedroom that I look at every single morning when I wake up. And it's this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord is working. The Lord is moving, even in the sacrifice, even when the obstacles seem impossible, even when the chariots of Pharaoh are driving down around you, even when it feels like there is no way out, there is no hope, there is no chance, the, the God of heavens is working for you. And the, 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 I, I just love that passage, be still. Because I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a type A person. I want to get things done. You guys should see my to-do list. I've got to-do lists that I never get them done, and they're just constant. So I transfer my last week's to-do list to my next week's to-do list. And, and I want to get things done. I want to accomplish things. Like, there's things that I want us to do as a church. There's, there's, there's people out there who need the love of Jesus. There, is, there are people that are hurting that I want us to love. There are people who are oppressed that I want us to serve. There is justice that I want us to step into. There are all these things that I want us to get done and there is an impulse in me sometimes to run ahead of God and God says no 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 there are times when I want you to wait and be still 
Before we can, we can become the people of the promise, we have to learn to trust the promise maker. And this is what God is doing. He's teaching his people to trust. And there's a huge difference between believing this in our heads and living this out in our lives. Am I right? There is a huge difference between me cognitively ascending to the idea that God is trustworthy, that God is good, that God is faithful, and it looks a little different when I'm called to sacrifice. It looks a little different when I'm standing with the Red Sea here and Pharaoh's army charging down on me and God says, just be still. That's when our faith actually becomes faith. Not just a sermon that we hear, not just showing up at church, not just being a part of a community, but actually investing in the promise, actually doing the things that God has called us to do. And so God says to them, I have proven to you that I hear you. I have proven to you that I am your rescuer. I have told you that I will be your protector. I will prove to you that I will be your provider. But I want you in this moment to stand firm. And can I just be truthful? Half a million dollars seems like a lot of money. Like this park project, when we first started talking about it, I had a lot of fear about it. There's this fear of like, what happens if we don't get there? What happens if we try and raise 500 and we get like 52? Like what happens if nobody's excited about this? Right, what happens if we said we were building a park and all we have is water fountains with unicorns painted on them? Like what, like what happens in that moment? Like, like what if that's the thing that happens? And so there's this fear and, and, and over the last like, Four, four months or so, I've just been sitting down and talking to people about money. Can I just tell you that that is the least favorite part of my job? Like, I don't love sitting down with people and saying, hey, we'd love for you to contribute to this. This would be a good project. Like, I, I don't want to be a fundraiser. I just want to be a pastor. But I think there's something amazing about God saying, I've made you the promise. Now stand firm in it. I've told you what I'm going to do. Now I need you to go. There's this beauty of like standing still, but also moving forward, isn't there? There's this beauty of like trusting the faithfulness of God, but also stepping into it. So be still, be silent, let me work. And the next lesson they learned is they learned that God's power can overcome any desert challenge. Any desert challenge that we face, God's power is available to us. There are 600 chariots bearing down on them. Chariots at that time were the greatest war weapons there was, right? Chariots running over a group of a million people would have been easy. There were women and children and seasoned people along with them, right? They were, it wasn't the fastest group of people. There was a sea in front of them. The chariots were coming from this side. They were unarmed. They should have been run down. And in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, I love this, why are you crying out to me? Moses is like, have you seen the chariots, right? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And Moses is like, have you seen the Red Sea? And he says this, I got it. It came from Amazon. It was, it was a couple days late. Uh, I preached on the staff a few weeks ago, and I ordered this from Amazon, and it never came. Uh, but it came a few weeks later, so I figured I'd still use it in a sermon. So remember the staff? It's the sign of God's what? Presence and power. I'm going to give you this so that you will remember 
that I am with you. I'm gonna give you this so that you will trust that I am with you and that I have more power than you could ever imagine. And so when the plague started, Moses stepped in and Aaron got the magic staff too, which is pretty cool, right? They both had these staffs and all these amazing things are happening. And he says this, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the waters so Israel can walk through on dry ground. I I think there's a playfulness in this. I think God sometimes, I don't know, I don't know if that's how you hear God's voice, but sometimes I hear God's voice in this kind of playful way. I'm completely afraid. Life is bearing down on me in terrible ways. There's frightening stuff ahead. And God's like, remember the staff? Like, remember what I've given you. Remember that I'm good. Remember that I'm trustworthy. Remember how I rescued you from Egypt. Remember how I've been with you. And all of us have those stories. All of us have those testimonies of these moments in our life where things should have gone a certain way, but God showed up. Where things should have gone a specific way and God worked and moved so that things were were different. God overcame the power of what was in front of us. And unarmed, they should have been run down, but God says, remember the staff. Remember the power. Remember my presence. Remember that I am going to be the one that does the work and I doesn't all ride and depend on you. Verse 19, then the angel of the Lord God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud was moved from the front and stood behind them. There's this like presence of God moves to this place of protection. Isn't that beautiful? Like there's this picture of they're standing here and there's nothing between them and the chariots. And all of a sudden the presence of God says, I am standing in between the enemy and you. I am standing there to protect you. I am the one who will be there. It came between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. And the waters were divided and the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground with walls of water on their right and on their left. And we know how the story ends, right? Israel gets to the other side. Israel gets to the other side of the shore. They get to this place where there is only one thing that stands between them and their freedom, and it's this army that stands behind them, but the presence of God stands between them. And when the armies of Pharaoh get into the water, the water goes back, and Pharaoh's armies are consumed by the waves. And I just wonder... I just wonder what that felt like on that shore. Can you think about that? Can you put yourself on the, like there, there is actually a dividing space now between the slavery and the oppression that they had experienced their whole life and the freedom that they now had. And out in front of them was the desert and this whole new world. And I would imagine there's this joy of like, we've been set free. Can you believe what God did? Like, I don't even know how that happened. There was some kind of pillar of cloud in the sky. The waves parted. There was this amazing thing that happened. I don't even know what was going on here, but there's this joy and there's excitement. But I also think there was probably a little fear, right? Of, uh uh-oh, it's our turn now. Uh Uh-oh. We actually have to figure out how to survive in the desert with a million people now. And so what happens is the song 
of Moses, Exodus chapter 15. It's a song of worship. It's a song of gratitude. It's a song of generosity. Here's one, just one portion of it, Exodus 15, 19. It says, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. They stood on the shore, and as they stood on the shore, Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, like a little, what do you call those things? Tambourine kind of thing. And the women followed her with timbrels, and they started dancing, and they started worshiping. The moment when they reach that spot, they learn the last lesson, which is generosity is the gauge of gratitude. Like Generosity is the gauge of gratitude. I recently read an article about neuroscience and the neurology of the brain. I, I nerd out on that stuff. Like I, I love that stuff. And it, it, it talked about these four different experiments around the idea of gratitude and generosity. And one of those experiments was they gathered a bunch of people together and they allowed them to hear stories of the Holocaust. So they put uh, Holocaust survivors in front of them. And Holocaust survivors began to share stories of little bits of kindness that they received when they were backed up against the wall, right? When the sea was on one side of them and the chariots were running down them. When the Nazi army was pursuing them and there was no way out, they talked about little moments of kindness that they received. Here's what the article said. It said, when they gave the testimony, many Holocaust survivors told us that they found reasons to be grateful, whether it was because of a stranger offering just a bit of food or a neighbor providing a place to hide. These small acts of generosity helped them hold on to their humanity. The researchers were then able to use these testimonies in this incredible research on gratitude, which shows why it's so important to preserve voices of people who went through dark times. And, and here's what they did. They asked them this question, and they monitored their brain when they did this. They said, how would you feel if you were in their in their position, and someone gave you food? How would you feel if you were in their position and somebody gave you a place to hide? And the frontal cortex lit up every time. Every single time someone started imagining what they would do with gratitude and generosity, something actually happened in the brain. Isn't that amazing? Like our brain actually gets triggered by the golden rule. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, this is so amazing. Like, our bodies actually inhabit Scripture. Like, our brains actually get excited when we do the things that God has asked us to do. Like, generosity is the gauge of gratitude. And so the conclusion, at the end of this article, which was done by completely, it wasn't a faith group, it was, it was at USC. It was a group of scientists that did this rule. At the end of it, the conclusion is neuroscience supports the benefit of the golden rule. How cool is that? Like, like we worship becomes our weapon. When we're grateful, we're generous. When we receive the gifts that God has given us, we gladly give them to the things that God has called us to. And so today, I want us to begin praying at these doors, praying at the turning of the page into a new season and praying that God would provide and protect that any enemy that is bearing down on our church, that the presence of God would stand in between us. And I want us to sit for a moment in generosity and gratitude. Uh, and, and so as Tyler and the band come up and we step into a time of worship, the communion tables are open and every time we go to communion, it's a time of remembrance, right? We remember what Christ gave to us on the cross. We remember his blood that was shed for our sins. We remember his body that was broken because of my transgressions. We remember that he met me while I was still a sinner. 
And we celebrate the fact that Jesus is good and our, our frontal cortex begins to trigger as we remember his generosity. And the other thing I want to invite you to do as we worship is I want to invite you just to simply remember the stories of when you stood at the Red Sea. When it felt like there was no way I'm getting out of this. When it felt like your marriage was over. When it felt like you weren't going to be able to pay the bills. When it felt like that illness was going to get the best of somebody in your family and God moved. And his presence stood between you and the enemy. And amazing things began to happen. I don't know about you guys, but I, I want us to be a people who are constantly praising him for his generosity. I want us to be a people whose frontal cortex are being triggered all the time by the goodness of God. Who just sit in the generosity and the gratitude of how he's rescued us, of how he saved us. I want us to be the people who stand on the shore and look back on the life that we could have lived, the life that we could have had, the life of slavery, the life of oppression, and we see the good life. We see the promised land ahead of us, and we say, whatever the desert is, we're willing to cross it. However difficult it is for us to get there, we're willing to walk into it. Whatever investment we have to make so that our children will receive the promised land we will lay down our lives to get there so heavenly father I thank you that you have given us a staff and a reminder you've given us testimonies and stories of your presence and of your power I thank you for the ways that you have grown this church I thank you for the ways that you have brought us together as a family I thank you for each and every person in this room that you have brought here for your purpose and for your reasoning and I thank you father that you have bonded us together and you have called us and you have told us it's your turn now and I pray that just like Israel, we would be faithful, that we would be full of generosity, that we would be full of gratitude, that we would be full of your presence and of your power. And we pray that in the same way you led God's people to the promised land, that you will lead us to every promise that you have promised for us. Our answer to everything that you invite us to do is yes and amen. And so we pray for your empowerment, we pray for your grace, we pray for your mercy, we pray for your power, we pray for your presence, and we pray that you would find us faithful because we love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna enter into a time of communion. The prayer stations are open, and I would love for us just in these coming moments as we worship, just to move about the room, just to find space to pray to find space to get with a family member, to write some prayers and pin them on these doors, to remember the goodness of God in our own lives and then in our family's life, in our church's life. God is so good, guys. So good. So let's worship him now.